Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. I'm Billy Allen. I'm Andrew Fuller. And I'm John Mayer. Today, uh, we are joined by my college roommate and teammate, Sean Rooney. He was a 2005 national champion at Pepperdine. He was the player of the year at Pepperdine. 2008-2012 Olympian, a gold medalist, world league champion, and now he is the assistant coach for the men at Pepperdine University. And that's going to be our topic, uh, transitioning from player to coach. So, Sean, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's it's great to be here with you guys, and I'm a big fan of the show. Although, uh, it's interesting that I had to just kind of find it on my own. My my good buddy, John Mayer, has a, a podcast about coaching with a heavy dose of volleyball in it, and he knows that I'm fresh to coaching, and he doesn't even give me a heads up. <laughs> a heavy dose of Pepperdine talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. He'd probably try to spin it as unguided discovery or something like that. <laughs> shows you uh, how embarrassed we were by what we were putting out. But <laughs> I think I'm glad you found it. Uh, so now that you found it and uh, we've got you on the show, we're fired up to learn from you. So after a very successful playing career, wondering what have been some of the challenges transitioning into the coaching world? Uh, I think the biggest thing is um, kind of undoing processes that I went through as a player, mostly um, as, as I was progressing as a player. And my goal was always to try to, to do things without, I don't know, without thinking how to be automatic. You know, I never had to really teach myself each, each skill and how to do each new um, attribute and add something to my game. Whereas now, that's all I need to do, you know, working backwards is trying to help other players, you know, learn to do the skills. So teaching is a, is a whole new side of the, of the game for me, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big challenge, and I'm just I'm excited to, to take it on. So then, what does that process look like? Are you reflecting on your playing days, like, oh, what was I actually doing? Or are you picking the brain of Marv, or how do you unravel that stuff? Yeah, I think one of the best uh, things I have going for me right now is working with Marv and David uh, at Pepperdine. I probably ask a lot of questions, and hopefully they're not too annoyed by the questions I ask, but, you know, it's good to learn from them, and I like to ask questions of the players, too. Checking in with them, asking them what they saw, and I think, uh, you know, trying to help other players uh, read the game is an important part of being a coach. Is there kind of a theme of questioning that you are typically in when you're talking to your coaching staff? You know, as as I think joining the staff, uh, you know, a well-established staff of, you know, Marv's been at Pepperdine for a really long time and David's been there for, uh, I think, nine years now. So for me, I guess it's more of trying to check in with them and see what they might need for me or what they might need me to do because, you know, they they know a lot about what's going on in our gym and they know a lot about the players and their histories and stuff. And, you know, I'm pretty green to the to the team and learning a lot about it every day. So I think that that information is, is most valuable to me. So what is your role or responsibilities as an assistant coach there? I think Marv likes to have everybody, you know, take a look at everything along the way. Um, you know, D- David's been doing this, the point scoring for a while at Pepperdine, and he's really, really good at it. And he's got a, you know, a great system down that I'm learning a lot from. So this year I started off working, you know, with the offensive side of things. And, and you know, then in practice, you know, doing whatever I could, working with the pin hitters and, you know, just learning about 
all parts of the game and all parts of coaching, you know, just getting getting reaccustomed to college volleyball. It's been fun. So just so we can clarify people who don't know, Dave David Hunt, he works with the women's national team, right? Yeah. And, and uh, Marv Dumphy, we mentioned a lot, but he's coached the national team, uh, won a gold medal, and been at Pepperdine for a long time, for people who don't know who those people are. So I was wondering, the transition from an... I mean, I'll say an, an all-world player, as Marv would say something like that, to being what you are now, it sounds like you're low on the totem pole, you know, having to probably not do the most glorified jobs. Has that been a hard transition, or is it just that's that's what I have to do? No, it's, I mean, I, I like what I'm doing right now, and I, I'm learning a lot about a, a new job, so I, I feel like I'm right where I need to be if I'm at the bottom of a totem pole, because there's just you know, it's, there's just so much to learn. And I don't know, it seems like everything I thought I knew about coaching as a player is like, <laughs> actually doing some coaching in the gym and teaching skills is different than things I thought about uh, of a coach was always in game tactics and, you know, changes that need to be made. And that that was kind of where my focus was as a player, um, looking at coaches that I played for. So then what are some of those things that you never considered that coaches have to do that you never realized as a player? Um, I think how to make these little changes and how to make these little gains um, for each skill, whether it's, you know, passing and if there's one aspect of passing and you need to make a change, how do you help them to do that? Because it's not just, you know, a couple minutes a day. And especially there's so many challenges with time constraints and with NC2A, you know, how can we do this in such a short amount of time? So we have to make use of just short amounts of video, good feedback along the way, and really just designing those little drills and uh, that can help, you know, teach along the way. What does the film look like? Are you guys doing that in practice or is that after practice? We don't have too much um, in-practice film going right now. You know, there's different little drills that that could be useful for, um, but most of our film is done after practice or um, after matches. So then after playing for Marv, for, you, put, you played there for four years and probably had one experience, and now coaching and being with him for a full season in that role, what are some of the differences? What are things you you didn't know happened as a player that happened as a coach? Well, just from the things I was curious about that go on at Pepperdine, I think things are pretty much exactly how I can, how I pictured them. Marv, I think, is pretty transparent, and you know the way he does things is, is pretty straightforward, and I'm happy to be a part of that, and you know I'm happy to try to add what I can to uh, what he's built and the program that he's built over the years at Pepperdine. What about the, the hours he puts in? Is that... I remember driving by, it'd be six in the morning and his light would be on the office and we'd, we'd come back from um, somewhere. <laughs> so, so we'd come back from somewhere fun and it'd be maybe midnight and it felt like his uh, the light in his office was still on. Is he is he always there or is that just him leaving the light in the office on and playing tricks on us? Wait, Mayor was out past midnight? I don't believe in it. In college? <laughs> That's a lot. They needed a designated driver every once in a while. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't comment on any of these things, guys. Um, yeah, no, Mark puts in good hours, and he, he does. I think he's got a pretty good system, and um, after matches, we'll watch video in, until late if necessary, and 
David Hunt puts in a lot of hours too, and both of them are really hard working. I got, I'm kind of a new dad, so that's a different challenge on the other side of, uh, you know, trying to juggle things around. So I feel like those guys have have more time to put into coaching and watching video and checking things out than I do. And so I'm up against time constraints, you know, and it's uh, it's a challenge, but, you know, both things are have been really fun. So, Sean, going from, from playing to coaching and when you're a player, you typically have the game plan and strategy kind of handed to you. How has that been going from having it handed over to you to creating it? Yeah, it's it's interesting. On the side of uh, just creating um, the tendencies, I, I think that, that part has been pretty straightforward for, for me so far and, and just, you know, seeing what I see on video, but making that make sense to the players and and create a game plan that everybody understands I think is the challenge that every team faces you know I've I just over the years playing for so many different teams and being handed so many different scouting reports in different languages and some of them I had to study more than others because I didn't understand any of the writing on them and others I understood pretty well and you know as a group of players were sitting there thinking okay we some of these things are you know, kind of out of the question, you know, how do we, uh, as a team, how are we going to be able to accomplish our goals by doing things that are possible or making the right changes or are these matchups reasonable? And so yeah, I really think that getting everybody on the same page and how you come up with a game plan is, is also how you're talking to the players in practice. You know, are you left hand on ball in practice as a does the player understand what that means so that when we go to the game plan and then we go to the game, we're able to execute something real specific. So Sean, when you were playing, when did a game plan really sit well with you and the team and and feel like, okay, this is a really manageable game plan that I know I can execute? I think it's really important that just the, the players all are on the same page, you know, when it comes to what's written in the scouting report and how we defend against that or how we adjust for a certain thing. Does everybody understand? Is that Does that mean the same thing to everyone? So, you know, there's teams that I've played for where it's kind of a mix of players with different languages and, and different communication barriers. But if everybody understood how our team d- deals with certain issues or certain attacking schemes or blocking schemes, then I think some of the preparation for video and for scouting reports actually starts in practice and just the the vocabulary and the verbiage that you use to converse with the players. What have been some of the biggest challenges, whether expected or unexpected, or what are the the hardest part of your job so far? Well, the, the, the hardest thing for me so far has just been going to a brand new team and and trying to learn as much as I can about all the different players and, and the staff and the dynamics and how everybody gets along. It's great creating all these new relationships, but you know I was pretty used to what I was doing uh, as a player and the, you know, the very few coaches and players that I dealt with stayed pretty steady for a long period of time. So going to this team, it's been great just building those relationships from scratch, but also you know, it's 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 interesting being part of a new group. What about your relationship with Marv? Does it feel any different in your role being an assistant coach versus being a player? Um, when I was a player, I did never wanted to let Marv down. And Marv, uh, I feel like 
the standard was pretty high and I wanted to meet it at all times and I wanted to do whatever it took to win one and you know I felt the same thing off the court so you know if I did good things or bad things on or off the court you know it's just I never wanted to let him down and I feel the same way and that's just kind of the, the type of person that he is in my life you know I'd, I I feel the same way now as a coach I want to I, I don't I want to help him get one you know it's just uh, you know I want to do it again <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. Nothing worse than disappointing Marv. <laughs> I, can, I can remember one or two occasions where it just felt terrible. But it, it was never a guy who was going to yell at you. But you could feel, um, yeah, you could just feel his emotion and how much he cared. Maybe one time he almost got mad at you is when you jumped up, maybe like, and it took like a broad jump, like eight feet from the bench and just absolutely took him out. <laughs> and flipped him over the bench. That he says that's the only time that ever happened in his career. <laughs> I did uh, absolutely level Marv. <laughs> Was the volleyball at least going that direction? Yeah. Knowing, so. knowing Johnny probably got it. So <laughs> he was on all fours. I think I, helped, I think I helped. I felt so bad that I helped him back up and ran back in and played defense. Like I didn't just run to go play D. Like I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get him up. I knocked over Marv. <laughs> <laughs> so you've played for a lot of great coaches. You played for Hugh McCutcheon, uh, John Spira, Alan Knipe, and I'm sure it, you, over in Italy and in China and all the, Russia, all the places you've played, you played for good coaches. Uh, I don't know if you want to go one by one through those, but I, don't know, I guess what have you learned from them? What have you taken from their coaching styles? Maybe we can start with Hugh. So when I went full-time with the national team, Hugh was my first coach, and he told me right from the beginning that the first thing I needed to do was I needed to, to learn how to pass, right? Because I'm a big guy, I could put the ball away, but, you know, can you pass at the next level? So really a lot of the cues that I take as a coach um, when I'm working with passers come from that time when I, that I had with Hugh where he was teaching me how to pass, you know, kind of one-on-one or in a small group setting or just passing spinners or something like that, you know? And it was uh, that quality time, just, uh, you know, there's people who are, I, I think Marv always says you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And those were times when I for sure was getting better, every quality rep. That's cool that he was uh, so straightforward in what you had to be good at. Can you go through what some of those passing cues are that he taught you that you use now? Um, I think uh, mostly we talked about you know, keeping my feet quiet and also keeping my legs strong to stay on my feet more. Um, I had a tendency to collapse. Um, and I'd see that in other young players as well. And whether it's because they think they don't have time or it's just too far away from them, I think uh, if we can stay on, the more we can stay on two feet and two arms is uh, is the way to go. But I did have a tendency to collapse a knee and it put me in some funky positions. So for me, the quiet feet kept a, a level playing field for my eyes and my eye work. And yeah, that was it. Strong, strong base, strong legs. What about uh, Alan Knife? So Alan, I think, took hold of the national team in like February of 2009. So like kind of, kind of like late, even into the quad, there wasn't a decision made on who was coach. So and this was after you guys had won a gold medal. Yes, yeah, yeah. So taking taking on that group. Yeah, that was a uh, kind of a tough position to be put in, especially you know he didn't sign on in September after we won. He signed on in February. 
Um, so it was a little bit of a late start uh, to that summer and in that year, and um, we definitely had to battle back and find a brand of volleyball that was throughout the quad. And I think by the end of the quad, we were a good team. Um, we played some good volleyball, and things didn't go our way. And you know, in, in the Olympics, in the end, but throughout pool play, I finally uh, have been able to go back and watch a couple of the matches. And throughout pool play, the team, uh, you know, was making plays and was there and was showing everyone that we were there to compete. So I think that was kind of the theme of the quad for Allen was putting players in positions to compete and, you know, letting them battle it out and taking that crew to London. How much did you play for John Sparrow? Was he um, him a coach? Yeah, yeah. So John was an assistant coach on both of the um, Beijing and uh, London Olympic squads, and then um, took over. and I played 2013 and 2014 for John, and I've always gotten along well with John. And as a player, he was just kind of uh, he was just kind of putting me out there whenever I was healthy. So. <laughs> which wasn't much down the stretch, but I really enjoyed his, um, over the years, watching him grow as a coach and just kind of make changes in the way he feels about different skills, and it's been great getting to know Sprawl. What What's something that he does well? He does a lot of things well, but just off the bat, he has a, um, a nice way of communicating to the players and helping players communicate with each other in a, in a way that's just, there's not a lot of pressure to it, and um, I think that's the that's the type of communication that needs to go on to prepare for big moments and for the ultimate stage, uh, which is upcoming uh, in a couple uh, couple weeks here. And you don't have to name who it was, but if you give us examples of things that, like, I I would never do that as a coach, like some of the kind of I guess horror stories that you experienced, uh, wherever it was. Um, most of it has to do with um, transparency to players, I think, in, in managing your relationship with players. And I think that's, that's true with, at any level. It doesn't matter. I've, I've seen it you know, within the professional leagues, um, and I see it all the way down to you know, club level with the parents and, and everybody getting involved, too, you know, with, with uh, how they communicate to coaches and how the players communicate with the with the coaches, so I think just having the players be comfortable with the information you're telling them and, and being honest with the players, and I think um, any times that I've been seriously burned by a coach or where it's you know it's really stuck with me is when I, you know I didn't feel like they were being straightforward with me or if you know if I knew I was in a different position maybe I could have you know done something else along the way so um, I think that's kind of my my favorite part about coaching now is just you know trying to be honest and direct about with the players and as a new coach just you know even sometimes saying I don't know when I'm not sure yet you know that's a hard thing to do that's that's cool that you can say that I don't know is okay and especially if it's followed by, I'm going to, I'm going to go find out. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, not, not just a dismissal. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> go look on YouTube. You'll... Can you go through some of the styles of practices in the different cultures? So I, I know, especially in the USA gym for the men, there's a lot of, um, there's been a big emphasis on motor learning and game like reps and random reps. What about in Europe or in Asia? Did you experience different styles of practice? 
Absolutely. I think, um, let's see, probably be easiest to start at the most old school would be in Korea, Asia, experiencing volleyball in those countries is the old school mentality is to rep it out, right? So they practice hours, you know, in in the morning, you know, after weights, they have practice with the ball, you know, every time. It's not just every once in a while to get reps. And then practices are three hours long. And so sometimes that's, you know, there's two of them a day. If you lose a match, sometimes they practice after the match even. So it's kind of that old school, outwork the opponent, don't waste any opportunities to get better and to rep it out. And and so that's kind of a, that's that's one way to look at it. Having that many different coaches, if I was coaching a veteran, it seems like it'd be more intimidating. Like somebody that's maybe more set in their ways or you know what works for you. Is it tough to be open to new coaches at that point? Yeah, I feel like I was probably more open to new stuff, especially once you're, you know, it's not it's not fun to look at if you're over the hill, but, you know, my last couple years playing, I was for sure, you know, not at the peak of my game anymore. So um, I was eager to pick up on any, any little, you know, details or any little upgrades that I could make um, that could make a difference, anything that could, you know, get that 1%. What were some of those old man details? What are some tricks? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'd still be playing if I had enough of them. So, um, no, to Billy, to answer your question, I think I kind of avoided it. It's more uh, the the meaningful conversations I had later in my career with coaches were started as a conversation or with a question. And I like to talk theory and I like to talk how – different players react to different things on the court as they happen. So I don't know if, if a coach just kind of, came, kind of came out of the blue and said, we need to do it this way, then that could, I could see how that could rub some players the wrong way. But, you know, most of the time, if the player's open to changing, then they're going to want to discuss it with you. If you just start a conversation with them and, and ask them what they think or even just say, here's an idea. And, you know, some people will be open to it for sure. So how have you handled, I feel like in college you were really good and I feel like things maybe came easily, uh, at least from my perception. So then now as a coach, is it frustrating to, to see people like, why can't they just do that? You know, how do you manage that feeling or do you feel that way? Um, I think there was a small part of me and, and I think the, the one thing I did was I talked to some players that had gone into coaching ahead of time and I kind of hunted out the ones you know, that didn't coach along the way or, you know, like study, you know, like Mayor, you would have been a, a poor choice of someone to call because, you, you know, you've been coaching forever and studied education. So <laughs> you would have told me, you know, exactly what I needed to know and learn. You know, I wanted to hear from people that kind of got, you know, their their career ended and, and went straight into coaching. And, you know, so I was ready for that feeling of wanting to go out there and just do it and fix it myself and, you know, trying to make all the changes at once but um you know that's that's the deal is you you gotta give meaningful feedback and you know that's what I'm working on now is trying to not say too much and give good feedback what makes it meaningful you mentioned not giving too much is there anything else you feel really lands with the players um I think it's something that you can get in place with them you know if you can get some reps um you know, when you're not playing six on six and if they can get that feeling of, okay, I need to get a good hold here for in order to get a good pass, then um, that's something that's 
a, you know, direct if they can, you know, if they do something and once you go live six on six and you said, hey, that's a good hold right there, keep doing that, then that's something they, you know, kind of previously understand. But no matter how clever my, you know, catchphrase or five word phrase is, if they've never heard it before, you know, it's probably not going to process the same for them uh, on the fly. If it's a six on six drill and there's another ball coming and, you know, there's not that much time. So you're breaking that, like explaining that key in a one-on-one situation or? It can be, sure, it can be. Or, you know, something that's not live where you can't exactly just pull them out for two seconds and then put them back in. Or if we're doing something where there's a line of attackers or a line of blockers or, you know, there's more time to interact with the player. You talked a lot about how you were playing catch-up, like how to get to know everybody. Is a big part of that getting to know them in your office or when you guys are traveling or have you worked to get to know the guys off the court? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's always going to be the the challenge. Is I, I for, that's one thing I completely forgot about is just how limited the interaction is with the, with the athletes. As a professional player, you could spend all day repping it out at the gym if you wanted to, right? And then in college, there's you know, only so many hours you can even practice in a day or a week. And on top of that, they have a lot of time demands as students. So, you know, it's it's hard, but it's really cool just working with these student athletes and, and trying my best to get to know them when we have time to hang out. They go to class now at Pepperdine? Things have changed? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that. Yeah. And so ends part one. Join us next week as we have Sean Rooney back to talk about the Olympics. This is Coach Your Brains Out. Thanks for listening. When this comes out, the Olympics will be a couple weeks away. So just wondering, you went through two quads and experienced two Olympics. What what the last couple weeks look like, what the lead up, you know, what it feels like being a part of that team? It probably feels a little bit different for every person, you know. It depends on your role on the team leading into these weeks. So the women's team just um, selected their squad, right? But the men were locked up a couple weeks ago, you know, with, with what they wanted to do. So that's not an easy time for those players that are on the cut line. Um, I can speak from from both sides of it, where in, before Beijing, they, they told us well ahead of time the 12 that they were taking, and we were able to work as a group, you know, towards towards our goals in Beijing. And then leading up into London, it was a little bit tighter towards the Olympics. So... For some players, that probably doesn't change their mentality too much because they know um, that they're going to go. But then for other players, they're playing for their lives, you know, everything we work for. So to answer your question, I like to think that some of the players are, you know, focused on preparing to do battle in Rio and, you know, other players are either just finishing up and fighting for spots. You know, that could be a stressful time too. Can you go into the pressure of the actual Olympics, what it feels like? is like a say, a pool play match against, I don't know, a team in Africa who's not great. Is it still like this crazy pressure-filled match? Is it different than playing in a national championship or playing in a World League championship? You know, those matches against teams in Africa are when some of us shined in the Olympics, all right? So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, uh, it's always a little bit tense, you know, and there's a, a strict protocol that goes on for the Olympics, and there's usually extra security and stuff, you know, walking out of the village and, and getting everything done. And I know that most of the athletes aren't staying in the village this year. 
and then there's a strict protocol that you go through and that you know it's usually full and not everybody has seen volleyball before but some people have you know so it's an interesting crowd it's you know there's usually quite a bit of noise and it's it's pretty tense in there when when you're playing a meaningful match it's the air feels a little different i must say but in a good way in a way that makes you feel closer to your teammates and hopefully uh relying on your preparation that you've done to that point so you played in a lot of big pressure moments and uh i was on the court with you for some of them and it seemed like that's when you were at your best and and just wondering how you tackled those and what helped you be good in those moments um i think early on in my career as an athlete looking back all i ever wanted to do was you know be a professional athlete or make it as far as i could in sports and so very early on, I learned that whenever I let myself down or I felt like I didn't perform as well as I could, and then I think about if I could have prepared better or, you know, if, if you know, I can take some of the responsibility. And for a long time, you know, well into my high school years, I I wasn't, wasn't really good at that. And then um, I think once I got to college and I realized that volleyball was actually cool in California and that <laughs> there were teams that were just playing at such a high level and I was just glad to be a part of it I I think I relied on preparing myself for those big moments to avoid those little chokes you know just to say I if I if I compete as for every point that I can in practice and I try to demand as much as I can from my teammates along the way I won't be nervous at the end of you know a set or end of a match or a fifth set of a championship because all of that work that went in it was was the maximum I could do and as best I know how to do it anyway so um, I think that was just being able to fall back on the work that I've done and and trusting in the preparation that I've done with my teammates especially those making those relationships solid so that we can communicate under pressure is one of the hardest things to do. Could you go into a couple of the characteristics you'd say you were like when you were at your best? Were you relaxed? Were you angry? Were you focused? What were those emotions? I, I'd say relaxed and, and aggressive, too. I, I'd say at the same time was, I think, mistakes I, I made uh, were usually um, errors of just being cautious and and so when I was relaxed and playing at my best and, and aggressive, I was able to maybe think a move ahead or, you know, just see the game, read the game a little bit better, but hopefully trying to stay pretty even keel. And for me, I think it was a better look when I was had high energy, which I wasn't always a high energy person. If you know me off the court, I'm not the highest energy person. But I, I feel like I, find, I learned down the road that that was something that benefited my team just providing that if I couldn't provide anything else. Are there uh, things that coaches did to help bring that out of you? Like say on a night where you were low energy and you weren't focused and weren't relaxed? Definitely, definitely. I think in Europe especially, the coaches that can manage the egos on the professional teams do a little bit better than, you know, on the national team. I feel like there, of course, are some great players with egos and stuff like that, but... 
but ultimately the team gets along really well and it's everyone's working for the same goal but you know in Europe it was a little bit more just managing um, the players and and to get the most out of the players I think you just had to the, the coaches would be really po- overly positive and the the over time the coaches that are negative constantly negative their players you know start to kind of pull away um, when it comes to how much not just this is only when it comes to how much energy they're providing on the court you mentioned maybe it didn't come as naturally to be like super high energy and talkative just with all the the players you've played with were there other guys you felt like were able to lead in certain ways without being just like jumping around and like fired up yeah definitely there's there's so many different styles of leadership and one of the hardest to explain would be clay stanley playing next to him he's the captain he's the man obviously if just looking at his accomplishments he's a man but you know just being a good teammate at all times and just keeping the team always you know steering the ship he was always the you know kind of a voice of reason throughout the quad when you know things were up and down for us during that quad so um that's that is one way that somebody can lead um just kind of in a strong quiet way another player that comes to mind would be Rich Lamborn because he was a player over the years that managed his relationships with other players really well and every block move I ever made or every encounter I had with him in service if he was willing to kind of talk it out what he saw what he wants out of it next time you know whether I screwed up whether he screwed up you know getting getting to the bottom of things and he did that relentlessly with all of the other players and the coaches as well so I think that type of communication is is something that man a team can't get far without it too bad Rich can't find a good team to coach now that he's he's done playing. I feel like he could be really valuable for some good players out there. You said he's the quiet one with me and Theo. He's like the one that talks the whole time. No, I just I feel like a lot of times as coaches, you know, we see kids that maybe are quieter on the court and we're always like, "Hey, talk, like get get into it, get excited." Um how would you approach a kid that maybe maybe that's just not his personality? Would you try to get him to get more fired up and energetic or how would you help him be better teammate or good for the team? It's a long process, right? Because you know, maybe maybe it would be easier to take an extrovert and tell him not to do anything and just be quiet and not say anything than it would be to try to, you know, for an introvert to try to create all this energy and you know know that people are watching and it's kind of an uphill battle. I don't know. I think it's just a matter of being comfortable and having fun and enjoying the relationships and that you have on your team and if those things are in place then um, it should be at least easier to play the way you want to play or you know celebrate your successes with your teammates. So you you played a a variety of roles in your playing career from the go-to guy to uh, you know more of a role player so how did you handle both those situations and, and how did coaches help you be your best in those those roles? So I guess, yeah, those are are definitely two different roles, you know, trying to do whatever you can just to get on the court and help the squad out, or maybe your your biggest role is going as hard as you can in practice and pushing other players to their limits, all the way up to, you know, needing to score most of the points for your team. Those are two very different roles. So I think um, when coaching a player that's scoring all the points, you know, that that's something that probably comes natural to that player. So the next step for them to help the squad out is getting the most out of their teammates if they can and 
hopefully that can be done in a positive manner, which which is hard when you have kind of a killer instinct. But, you know, that's that's something that's that's really valuable is getting that extra touch and getting that um, from the players around you, getting getting everything you can. And did Marv do anything at Pepperdine to talk to you about your role? Or it was just clear, like, you know, this is, this is my job? He did along the way. I think um, he... He made some progress along the way with, um, you know, how I handled other players and my interactions with the players. And I think most of that hit home for me a, a couple years out of college. And I was really able to put some of the advice that he gave me as a, you know, as that type of player or as a leader to use. And yeah, that's inter- interesting to hear and to think about just how as coaches, you don't see your impact always right away. Like you might be saying the right thing. But uh, it might just take time to sink in, and I guess that's why you just keep pounding away as a coach and trying to say the right things, and at some point it'll stick, hopefully. On the other hand, as we were talking about being a role player and coaching a role player, I think those players um, are in an interesting position. So you're, the coaches, I don't know, interactions aren't always as comfortable, right? Because this is the guy that could, if you go one way, you're in the starting lineup, right? If you go the other way, you're you know not on the roster anymore. So, you know, that's a, that's an interesting relationship that can have a different feel to it depending on the coach and the player. Was it hard for you to change roles, to go from getting every ball to maybe coming in and serving a ball or not being set as often? And how did you transition? Yeah, it was pretty hard. And I knew that it, it, it just made me know immediately that um, I needed to add value in other places if I wanted to be valuable to the team. If I wanted to be able to get on the court and perform, I was going to have to um, be able to handle myself and serve receive and, you know, maybe so maybe pick up some new skills along the way. For the guys who are prepping for Rio right now, if you were a coach on that team, words of advice you'd give them going into big tournament coming up? No, I mean, I, th- I think... Uh, I really like the squads. You know, I think both the men and the women are, are looking pretty good right now. But yeah, I'm big on just kind of falling back on on your on trusting your teammates and and the relationships that we have and the the brand of volleyball that we want to play. Um, and as you know, I, it's it's no secret that both the men and the women's goal the goal from the beginning of the quad was to be the best team in the world come next month. So if they've prepared the way that we want to prepare, then then we should be able to play fearlessly when we go to Rio. From the different teams you've played on in college with John to the national team and stuff, I'm sure you've had a bunch of different kinds of cultures or team moves or whatever it is. Have you found like a certain culture that you'd want to instill with your guys now that you feel like works? And also, like, is it that important or can you just be really good at volleyball and not get along and still do well? That's a really good question because I've seen teams that don't function very well in the locker room somehow go out and perform and and play well and over time too, even throughout a season. But I think that's kind of the exception to the rule. I think it's, you know, the, the team culture is, it's really important to have the players be comfortable in the environment that they're playing in and they're practicing in so that they can, you know, learn as best they can so they can compete as much as they can and learn from each other and the coaches as as best they can. So I think in that sense, building that culture is is extremely important for the success of a team to be able to go out and, and compete under pressure. 
And how would you describe the culture at Pepperdine right now for your guys' team? Um, I think we got a lot of really good guys, and I think that, that, that goes on and off the court. And I think everybody, we, we try to keep everybody comfortable and hungry in, in an environment where they're not afraid to ask questions and they're not afraid to compete and leave it all out there. And, you know, we're there for feedback and, and video and and we're there to compete alongside them as well. So I think it's a really it's a really cool environment, and I'm happy to be a part of it once again. And do you think the culture has changed? I mean, we were there, what, over 10 years ago. Is it different? It seems like Pepperdine Volleyball has changed less in the past uh, 12 years than the rest of the world has along the way. <laughs> so, yeah, it's there's some, some pretty good traditions in place that I think lead to some pretty good volleyball. What do you see a successful balance is between creating a culture where the team is, is comfortable and playing together and then also like pushed or like you mentioned with Marv having that high expectations where you didn't want to disappoint. Those can exist at the same time? Sure. I mean, it, it's one of those things where the coaches and the players have to have a standard that they all agree they can they can meet on, you know, to thrive as a as a team, as a culture. Um, and if everyone has an understanding going into practice, top to bottom, then you can get some serious work done in a short amount of time like that. I guess this isn't a good way to end, but let's do this one. Do you have regrets from your playing career? Things you wish you would have done differently? Um, yeah, I haven't. I've only made it through uh, my junior year of high school, though. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm still going back to a few hitting errors I made that year. And, and uh, I'll let you know when I get to present day and, and tell you what I learned. So it's it's like three different diaries you're filling out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, is there anything big where you look back like, oh, I wish I would have done this, like I wish, or is, do you feel like you left it out there? I mean, I'm, sure, I'm sure you did. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe uh, my fitness goals would have been different. I don't know, maybe some dietary changes earlier on, but just... By nature, I was a little bit fragile, and I had five surgeries along the way, so I spent a lot of my career battling back from different injuries, and that's like, you know, three knees, a back, and a, a brand new shoulder here, so, you know, uh, that was just a whole other side of <laughs> taking advantage of those reps that I do get on the court, because I knew it would probably be back in the training room eventually. So if if you would have eaten a little bit better, we'd be we'd be winning we'd be winning tournaments right now on the beach. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> if it, if it's as easy as that, then I need to take some serious looks at my uh, at my diet. <laughs> Sean is John more or less awkward than he was in college now? As you imagine, John hasn't changed that much. He's uh, yeah, he's he's mayor. I just get a kick out of every time he wins a tournament or something, he just kind of stands there and fist pumps and accepts his <laughs> trophy. <laughs> I remember I was at Pierce College, and I would go to the games at Pepperdine. Be like, wow, these guys are unbelievable. This Man, he is so good, that Sean Rooney. And then it was like four months later, the first day I opened gym, I wanted to go get autographs. Like, hey, Brad, <laughs> Brad, Sean, who you guys... Well, then I uh, had to try to play with them. That's <laughs> scary. But yeah, if I man, if I wouldn't have been there with you guys, I don't know if I'd be winning tournaments on the beach. Those are fun times. Um, so resources you've used to accelerate your coaching prowess, you know, books or anything that's helped you? 
I read a lot, but uh, more so lately, I've been talking to other coaches, and um, I don't know, sometimes that involves, I, I was just at JO's to recruit a little bit, and every once in a while, I just even test the fences with the coach and ask them what they thought about something, and most of them are pretty open about just discussing volleyball and seeing, you know, if I can, you know, share some ideas or whatever, but for the most part, I, I have a a nice Rolodex from from being a player. So if I need something, if I need to learn about serving, then I, I'll call Clay and then say, well, this is what the best player <laughs> said to do. So, <laughs> so you know, do it. But, Billy, have you been getting those calls? <laughs> I haven't gotten any of those yet. <laughs> when a 6-1 opposite comes in the gym, Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll come, come, come help him out. <laughs> Show him the ropes. And then... Um, what are your goals as a coach? Do you want to head coach somewhere? What's what's the future? Yeah, good question. Still interested in, in all levels of volleyball. I haven't shut any doors, but right now I really like where I'm at. For some reason, I thought I was going to be able to play you know, well into my 50s, so um, I didn't consider coaching until then, but my plan was always to kind of circle back and, and see if Pepperline would give me a job so I could learn from Marv and, and now David David Hunt's there. That's great, too, because I can learn a lot from him. And he's been around there for a while. Thanks for your time. Well, we appreciate fun. you being a resource to us and our listeners. Hopefully you can uh, chop that up into something that makes sense. <laughs>